0: welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan as always with my co-host Glenn. Uh, So today we have a guest and we're going to be talking about all things property which is uh, generally a pretty um, popular topic with our listeners Um, especially with what's happening with, with COVID. Obviously property is quite a hot topic and there's a lot of predictions on what's in store for the property market. So um, I'll introduce our guest today, who is Philip Almeida from Performance Property. Firstly, thanks for joining us today, Philip. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. No,
1: thanks, and
0: Philip. Phil- Philip, could you perhaps, um, before we ask you a couple of questions, could you perhaps just give us a bit of a background on you know, yourself, what you do?
2: Yep. Yeah, so so being in the game for for 20 years, we kind of started Performance Property eight years ago. Um, we're a fully kind of research-driven end-to-end property advisory firm obviously advising in the residential uh, commercial industrial sectors and and helping our kind of private clients build five to ten kind of residential and commercial portfolios
1: so philip i suppose the, the the question on a lot of people's lips at the moment is how is COVID 19 impacting the property market maybe i mean obviously that's a tough question to answer because the market's so big and there's different states but perhaps we'll just focus on Melbourne or Victoria for the time being, how have you found COVID-19 has impacted the, firstly, the residential property market?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question we get asked from our private clients all the time. And Sure. um, So right now in Melbourne, we're not particularly seeing any discounting occurring for the stock, for the A-grade stock. Um, We're actually seeing some price rises in certain price points um, for our private clients. In Sydney, we've probably seen... Very similar situations no discounting occurring there' there's been some evidence in the in some price rises in that three to five million dollar price point um, there's been some slight discounting you know in some of the outlying areas around Melbourne uh, in that B and C grade stock of probably zero to five percent but our core buying markets uh, we haven't seen any discounting occurring across across each of, of Victoria in general so um, right now at the moment, we're not seeing any evidence of any for sales, which is really important. If we think there's going to be pain, it's probably going to be next year. Yeah. For every property that we're seeing that's coming onto the market, we're probably seeing one to two off market. And it's funny, those off market assets are actually being, they're not being discounted as well. They're actually being priced above where we're seeing, seeing the price value on those. We're still transacting.
1: So just on that, for, with the, I suppose um with the value of the market holding up is do you think that's being driven by the fact there isn't a lot of supply one and secondly obviously the banks that provide a little bit of a honeymoon uh, with mortgage payments and so forth is that why you think that perhaps the pain might be next year because people are just holding on now so there's not a lot of supply in the market which is keeping values up but that may come to fruition next year
2: Yeah, I think I think from Aaron, there's a lot of noise and a lot of negative media being pushed out there, Um, and we understand that they've got to sell papers. But we we kind of look at the data and script that out. So, if you look at government debt, you know, in March we're running at around about 2.09 trillion. Our you know our debt back then was at 684 billion. They they came out with a stimulus package of 289 billion. So our debt post crisis is going to be about 973 billion. So if you look at that as a percentage of GDP, we're actually running at 47%. Yeah. And if you look at you know our previous recessions and pandemics, we've actually been there before. So there's not a lot of, you know, in, in our view, um, given that the market's going to move into an undersupply, we haven't seen this much pent-up demand given that there is an undersupply of stock being, you know, we can't actually buy at this present time or get our clients through assets. So I think the most important uh data metric that we're looking at is the affordability index here in Melbourne. It's currently running at 30, 33%. And you look at credit, credit was say 25 to 35% cheaper than what it was 12 or 18 months ago. So yeah, when Melbourne hits an affordability index of around 50 or
1: 55%. And just on that, just to explain to the listeners, is that the percentage of their net income that goes towards debt repayment, is that what that is?
2: Correct. Yeah, so if they're buying their home, it's the percentage of their income that's going to service their home loan debt. If they had a 20% deposit, they borrowed 80% and then they were servicing that debt on their um, their household debt. So I think from our end, what we're really seeing is that You know, we haven't seen Melbourne this affordable in terms of the affordability index um, since 2001, 2002. So that's a really strong metric that, you know, developers can't build stock at the moment because they've found it very difficult to get funding. Obviously, a result of COVID, they can't actually get these developments off the ground as well. Um, So we're going to have a very serious shortage of accommodation. Obviously, the big industries here in Melbourne are export education. So the university is going to be impacted quite heavily. Airbnb accommodation, we're going to start to see vacancy rates increase um, for that sort of dwelling stock.
0: But at the moment,
2: you know, I think we're actually, the probability of price rises in Melbourne are probably greater in the data that we're seeing for, for clients looking to buy their homes. So we think if a client's got capacity to go and actually go and buy their home now, we think they should actually be concentrating on doing that if that. Uh, fits in line with their long-term kind of strategy in terms of buying the home
0: Philip can I just um, go back to the affordability index it just kind of pricked my interest and I know I know um, you know you hear a lot about Melbourne and Sydney being unaffordable that you know they're probably the headlines are here so you said it's back to levels it was say in the early 2000s now is that mainly due to interest rates because correct me if I'm wrong but Property prices haven't really fallen a great deal, and or or of incomes gone up. Like just trying to understand why yeah. they're more affordable now than they
2: previously were. Well, credits, as I said, as I said before, credits twenty five to thirty five percent cheaper than what it was eighteen months ago. So, yeah. so for clients taking on two million dollars worth of debt on their home, they're buying say a three million dollar home in Bayside or wherever. You know, the affordability index at the moment's running at thirty three percent um because of that credit so that if they can lock in their interest rate at say 2 or 2.2 effectively say two or three years ago they're locking that at same interest rate at three and a half maybe four percent so there's a real savings right there from day one that they've actually got the ability to even extend themselves further and we're very careful with our clients now that you've got to be very careful that they're, t- they're We've got to effectively make sure that they've got the right cash buffers. And we we want to make sure that our private clients have got 12-month cash buffers in there just in case one of those particular – someone in that household loses their job. Um, so then they've actually got the capacity to ride this period through, get another job, and then basically reload and make sure their debt position is controlled properly.
0: before we get off that, I can I ask one last question? With interest rates, Philip, I know interest rates are very difficult to predict and they've been, you know, Lower for longer and all that. Does
2: your office put out a view on interest rates, or no, no. We, well, we have got to be very careful what we do and don't say. Um, yeah. What we've found from a from a personal point of view, what our clients are doing on their their home loan debt. Um, you know, some of those clients probably want some maturity, so they may be um, 50% of that home loan debt may be variable. The other 50% may be fixed. Um, they're probably going variable on their on their kind of uh, investment debt as well um, and taking that risk whether or not interest rates do increase but they're they're probably mixing it up and taking some of that risk off the table Um, a lot of our clients want some consistency they're very conservative like we are so we we want to make sure on their home loan debt we're managing that debt effectively because we want to make sure their wealth is tied up in the home first of all that's protected and then on their investments we're just making sure they're buying in the core markets that our data is telling us to buy in
1: Philip, it's always, um, I suppose, dangerous to talk about the performance of Australian property because the market's so fragmented. Obviously, the various states, the regions within states, and so forth. But um, in the media recently, we, we've sort of read and heard about um, perhaps sort of decentralisation. So people perhaps moving away from um, city centres because perhaps they work. You know, there's the flexibility to work from home more whether they want more space because of the impact of social distancing and so forth. Um, anecdotally also heard a lot of people in the southern states maybe moving it, moving up to Queensland. I mean, are you seeing anything from a, from a um, I suppose, property valuation perspective in regional areas, whether it's in Victoria or, or other states, and also um, demand from some of your private clients or just in the market, you know, from maybe Victorians moving up to Queensland where there's not the restrictions or how, how are you seeing that play out?
2: Yeah, it's a really, really good question. It's a question we're getting asked all the time at the moment. So we've we've had a very heavy focus on the regionals for the last 10 years as as a group. Um, a lot of our private clients from an investment point of view, we took we took a very aggressive position on Geelong as a result of this. Um, Geelong had a very large manufacturing industry, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that's now changed. Yeah. A lot of our kind of higher end clients in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne and Bayside, they're saying, Phil, let's go and sell our asset in, say, Brighton for four mil. Let's go and buy a place down in Mount Eliza. We're seeing a lot of activity down on the Mornings Peninsula at the moment. So people selling down, buying a block of land for, say, one and a half, two million dollars, and then doing a build down there, building their tennis courts, getting their pools. And then they're still left over with, say, $750 to a million dollars after the sale of their, their Melbourne home. So, Bellarine Peninsula, I've seen some activity occurring down in that particular precinct as well.
1: And what's driving that, Phil? Is it just the, is it driven by COVID 19 or is it just a, a demographic uh, thing? Like, what's what's think, driving that?
2: Well, I think there's probably been a lot of efficiency gains as a result of this from technology and infrastructure. Yeah, sure. And I think that's a really big metric there to say that. People have actually proved, and they've they've all, almost used this last six months as a test case to work out whether or not it can be done.
1: Yeah,
2: it, it actually you're able to effectively work from home in a, a lot more in an efficient manner. I think it's going to create a very big difference in terms of how we design our homes. So a lot of the new developers, owner occupier builders will be building, you know, uh, promoting home offices, making sure that they can uh, work from home three or four days a week. That'll flow into the commercial precinct here in Melbourne. Um, I think a lot of the efficiency gains with a lot of the commercial buildings here in Melbourne as a result of this, it's going to accelerate some of those ideas that we had pre-COVID and, you know, these contactless buildings where people can come to work, they don't have to touch anything, they can head up to their floor, move straight in. I think you're going to start to see a change of that. Um, but from a regional point of view, seeing a lot of activity in Ballarat and Bendigo as a result of this, uh, a lot of activity in that. See, in Ballarat and Bendigo, you can buy the same asset that you're living in Melbourne for around about a million dollars. And you can get 2,000 square meters, you know, with a water view over the lake in Lake yeah.
1: Um
2: In Bendigo, you can probably buy the same asset for eight fifty, And then all of a sudden, you've got $2 million to invest with you guys to go and build a share portfolio or look yeah, at their wealth plan. Yep. Um, so I think I think people are being a lot more conservative it actually can be proven that it can be done um, I think we've got to be very careful that you know not everyone's going to move down there but it will give people that option that it, it is possible and it can be done yeah.
1: no no doubt no doubt
2: Philip
0: um, just a, a question I've got I was, I was reading an article I think it was yesterday or the day before in the in the financial review, I'm sure you probably saw it. the headline, you know, tries to, to grab maybe clickbait. I'm not sure, but Melbourne prices to fall by 15%. I think it's from ANZ and, and Sydney set to fall by 13%. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of you know bearish or negative sentiment out there around the property market. You've made some, you know, some, some good points. Um, just interested in your view, kind of on those outlandish views. And you know, there's a lot of people talking about, um, you know, the cliff, you know, coming where, you know, a lot of the government support will stop and people might um, not be able to make their repayments, the bank might foreclose them, all these kind of things. Just interested in, obviously, you've already given a bit away, but just kind of keen to hear your thoughts on those um, extreme headlines.
2: Yeah, well, I think the the three biggest industries here in Melbourne are the construction sector, export education um, sector that we're probably seeing, And, and a lot of that demand in Melbourne and Sydney over the last five or six years has been heavily driven by overseas migration activity. Um, we're probably going to see some price falls in some stock, you know, and that's the you know stock that's probably been heavily dominated towards those particular industries. So your one and two bedroom apartments are going to be quite sensitive. We're seeing the vacancy rates increase in that stock, but for all the A grade stock that we're buying and investing in for our clients, we're not seeing any discounting occurring um, and we're pretty bullish. We're, we think, melbourne sydney if you're looking to upgrade your home we probably feel that there's a greater probability of price rises than actually price falls in that stock so if you're looking to buy a home in melbourne or sydney our advice is probably go out there and and go and buy if you've got the capacity
0: and when you talk melbourne just obviously we've got, we're from melbourne so i'm sure you yep. know i've got a lot of listeners from melbourne um Are you talking like any particular, I mean, you spoke about regional before, but with Melbourne, are you talking about any particular pockets or just Melbourne as a whole there?
2: Yeah, so we're talking about this. So with the A-grade areas, when we go and break down an A-grade area, we've got data that basically grades a suburb is a triple A, triple B or triple C. Traditionally, an A-grade suburb is an area that's done, the long-term performance growth rate has done 7.5% or more. Um, so these, is, these are areas such as you know, the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, you know, bayside areas of Melbourne, even the northern suburbs, you know, the Brunswick's and the Carlton's all the way through to Coburg and Preston. Um, these areas, from a long-term point of view, we seem to think that they're fairly well protected. And there's a lot of first-home buyer activity in that, say, $800 to $1.5 million space. I haven't seen demand levels this high even pre-COVID. So the issue that I'm seeing, there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand. There's no stock to sell. And even when that stock does come onto the market, a lot of these clients traditionally were always looking to buy these particular assets on the ground. So I'm really talking about that one to three and a half mil space, you know, in these blue chip areas of Melbourne. Um, And unfortunately, we'd love to see some discounting because then we can go in and get into these markets, but we're not seeing it on the ground.
1: Philip, Just moving on from uh, residential, we we spoke very briefly about people, you know, working from home and and decentralization. Another hot topic, even for our clients, you know, we invest a fair bit in in commercial property. Um, There's this sort of belief that as a result of the increased uh, frequency of people working from home, employers becoming a lot more comfortable with that, Um, that, you know, the days of the high-rise office building could be coming to an end. I mean, what, what are you seeing, maybe it's still a bit early, but what, what are you seeing in that commercial property space, in particular office at the moment?
2: Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity um, for kind of smart investors to take a position on the commercial markets over the next one or two years. Um, as I said, we're, we're creating a dis- distress fund purely for these opportunities that we're going to see out there in the market. Um, there's going to be, there, there may be some panic selling of these particular assets that clients have taken on too much debt. Um, a lot of tenants that are currently in these properties are going out to the landlords and the ability to kick out these tenants, if you're a landlord, um, these tenants are asking for 50, 60% rent reductions yeah. during this period. I think a lot of uh, commercial owners that own these particular dwellings need to be a little bit creative in terms of you know, how they position those commercial assets to the market. So there's going to be a lot of we work spaces, a lot of tenants uh, amalgamating together and, and subleasing, um, working harmoniously. So there may be two or three businesses on the one floor moving into the one office and sharing a lot of space. Um, there may be an ability for mixed-use retail, so there may be some residential on 30% of the floor plate and then 70% commercial. Um, so I think from a, a buying point of view, it's going, to, it's going to represent a really strong opportunity to look at these particular assets out there. Um, but I think you've got to be very careful if you're a landlord that you, you do look after the tenant, and I think the tenant will appreciate this when, they, when we move out of this period. Um, On the industrial sector, I haven't seen the industrial sector this strong. Um, Yields have have been compressed to sub 5% across the group. Um, But the the commercial sectors in both Melbourne and Sydney are the heartbeats of these particular areas. It drives activity. It it drives business sentiment. So we really do need to protect these hubs and protect our landlords kind of moving forward um, and create, kind of workspaces that are probably a little bit more advantageous so we can get that income back to where it really should be in the next 12, 24 months.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the analogy that I've tried to talk to clients about and look to be honest, I don't know, you just sort of guess, but I, I remember sort of looking back, whether it was 20, 15, 20 years ago, there was, you know, when online shopping was really starting to to um, to evolve and become a lot more popular, there was this fear that, oh, the, the days of the shopping centre, you know, the the shopping malls were over and yeah. we've seen how they've evolved. Like you just have to go to Chats, and it's more of an entertainment sort of pre you know, where you've got cinemas, restaurants. Do you think that that may happen with office as well, where as you oh, were saying,
2: there might be more mixed use assets, but property tends to just find a way. Do you think? I think the commercial market is acting with it in its normal counter cyclical nature. And there's always going to be pandemics and recessions and people are going to get very, you know, basically stressed around, you know, they're going to have to sell their commercial assets straight away because this is going to happen. I I think we're, we've gone through these cycles before. This is completely normal behaviour. These particular commercial precincts are the, you know, as I said before, they're the heartbeats. You've got to be very careful. You look past this. Um, We're not particularly concerned around whether or not this is, there's going to be huge drop-offs in commercial um, buildings we've got to be very careful how he manages through the next two years but from a long-term point of view we think we still think that the commercial market represents excellent value for our private clients okay as the um just on the
0: commercial side of it i, I was going to ask whether your opinion there changed whether it was a you know a, a small you know million million dollar office somewhere or if it's a you know in the city you know 100 million dollar building is it would you hold a similar view regardless of the size of the commercial asset?
2: Yeah, no, it, it, is, it is quite sensitive at the moment. We've got to be very strategic in terms of how we look at that existing floor plate. How do we manufacture some more income for that client and how do we look after the landlord? Um, so ideally with the, the 50% reductions in rent and obviously with the Andrews government protecting the tenant more so than the landlord in terms of what we're seeing, Um, We've got to be very careful that we can transition them through these next 12 or 24 months. Um, But for a lot of the larger buildings, there's a lot more risk on those particular buildings. Um, I'm probably not advising a lot of our clients, unless they're an owner-occupier, I think there's going to be really good opportunities out there for our clients to buy their businesses within these commercial buildings. So moving out of their existing commercial buildings if they're renting them out and then basically buying that building Um, So, I think that's probably a really great opportunity in that, say, two to five mil space and buy a freestanding commercial building. So, there's really excellent opportunities there. But for the larger, say, 50 to 100 million dollar buildings that we're looking for our clients, uh, yeah, we have to be very careful because they're automatically, if they're gearing that asset at 30 or 40%, their rent drops off by 50%. We've really got to manage them through this process, which is. You know, we're, we're making sure that we're getting the tenants on side, getting a rental deferral. So getting to the payback their rent in say 24 months. So giving them a 45% reduction on their rent now and then, and then waiting, giving them another 40% as a rental deferral. But they've got to pay that back that, that 40 or 45% in 24 months. So we have to be very, very careful that we manage them through. And are you
1: seeing that Phil? I mean, from a layman's perspective, if you watch the news, read the papers, you'd think, oh, people are just getting 50%. No, not at all. Like, some... Are you seeing that a lot of the time where a tenant's negotiating a rental reduction, that that's either resulting in the lease being extended or that sort of lost rent just being amortised over the
2: remainder of the loan? What yeah, I think... Look, the, the lease? I think this is, the, this is the perfect opportunity if you're a landlord and you can really look after your tenant through this period. That tenant will probably taking a longer term view will be a lot more loyal to you and it's an opportunity to renegotiate your lease term to take or maybe extend that lease term and get an, up, an extra three or five years out of them which is really important so I think a lot of tenants are appreciating that some of these uh, landlords are, are pushing back quite aggressively as well so I think it really comes down to your tenant You know, making sure you've got a really great relationship with them, and a particular building that you're that you own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and just just one question from me, Nate, before you jump in. Um, Just going back to what you were talking about before, in regards to the reasons why you think the prices in Melbourne City might hold up. You mentioned in Melbourne that there's an undersupply. Um, do Do are you sort of saying that you believe the undersupply will offset perhaps a reduction in demand from Obviously, immigration, which has come off quite substantially, which which has been a great supporter, perhaps, of uh, property demand in in Victoria, in particular, and Sydney?
2: Well, I think think the biggest one for us at the moment, you know, we look at demand, affordability, and confidence across each of the residential sectors. So, demand at the moment is slightly positive, affordability is positive, confidence is slightly negative, because in our view, you know, unemployment rate will go to kind of 10 to 12%. But if you look at Frydenberg's comments at the moment I think it's really important to get a lot of that information in terms of what the federal and state governments are planning on doing um, to the actual overall as long as governments are unified in their approach I think the big one for us is that federal and state governments you know they've got three options they can go and increase taxes immediately after we get through this job keeper period in Feb March next year Um, they can provide some basic relief and then increase taxes in the next few years. What, I, what we personally think in terms of, if you look at Frydenberg's comments in the Finn Review, I think he made a very important statement, which is really important to kind of Melbourne and Sydney clients, is that I think he's probably going to look at sufficient relief throughout the crisis. Then their, their number one priority is to, to grow that GPD and getting the nation back to full-time employment. So once we see the unemployment rate go from 12% to, to maybe 8 7%, then I think the government will go out there and they'll prioritise and paying down that debt. But if you if the governments can focus on just growing our GPD and getting the nation back to full-time employment, our, our real national debt becomes low when it's expressed as a percentage of our GPD. And I think that's provided the governments and our research is only reliant on this really big metric. So... Provided the government is still stimulating the economy, um, we're not particularly concerned. We actually think it might have the reverse effect and we may see price rises given that demand levels. Overseas migration borders are going to open up. You know, we're never going to see... I think it's going to come back even stronger. And this doesn't include the vaccine coming out as well, you know, which is... I think there may be a lot of renewed confidence out there, Uh, but ideally our number one target is to get that unemployment rate back to... That six or seven percent rate, which may take two or three years to happen.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: I was just going to say that that could take some time the unemployment rate because I mean we're dealing with an a virus here that we haven't dealt with. It's not a a financial issue that created this, and yeah, it could take a vaccine comes out later in the year, great, or it
2: could be a couple of years down the track. We're still with stubbornly high unemployment. Yeah, Yeah. and I think you know I think a lot of those people that have lost their jobs are in you know the aviation sectors, the hospitality sectors. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna still filter through some of that hardship and it, and it will filter through, but in the A-grade stock that we've traditionally purchased in and in the areas that you know we haven't from an investment point of view, we haven't bought a lot of investment assets in Melbourne and Sydney over the last three years. We've looked at other capital cities where the affordability indexes and the and the counter-cyclical nature of those markets are a lot better value. Um, so we've kind of positioned our clients' asset base outside of Melbourne and Sydney with a view of us you know, if there are opportunities in Melbourne or Sydney, we can make that play when the time is right.
0: You actually just did answer my, my next question I was going to ask. I did say we've been focusing on Melbourne and Sydney. The biggest markets get a lot of the attention. Uh, I was going to ask if you had any comments on any other, any other Australian states, in, in, you know, anything that looks exciting at the moment or, or good opportunities across other states.
2: Yeah, so so we kind of run some internal data internally as a business um, and then we look at, so we build residential and commercial portfolios, we look at markets that have had five years of very little growth and I think the markets that are really representing probably the best market that we think over the next five years in our view will probably be Perth and it's taking us you know, probably 15, 16 years to finally make that call on Perth because it's always been very much mining dominated. Yeah. Um, you know, it's had that boom-bust cycle, but if you've got an opportunity to say, look at a really good character dwelling, maybe with some subdivision potential around that 1 to 1.5 mark, we're seeing a lot of value there. Adelaide's been a very, very strong performer for our client base um, in the housing sector, we're doing a lot of stuff in Bendigo, and before that, we had a really big play in Ballarat and Geelong. Um, the regional assets have actually outperformed some of our Melbourne and Sydney growth rates. So, don't be afraid to look at a really good quality regional asset out there. Um, and you can get into Bendigo, you know, say sub 500k. Adelaide, the price point's probably between six and 800. Brisbane's eight to a mil. So right now, we probably think those those capital cities and regional areas outside of Melbourne and Sydney are far better value right now. Okay.
1: Look, Philip, just to, I suppose, sum things up for our listeners. What Correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're basically saying is that it's not all doom and gloom out there to hang in there and that even with, whether you're a first home buyer, an and investor, whether that be residential or commercial, that there's still some good opportunities in the market.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. So if you if any of your clients are forced in, in a for sale situation, obviously contact. Um, you know, feel feel more than free to contact us. You know, we're happy to have, have a look at that individual asset. Our medium to long term forecasts have not changed at all. Our only change to our private clients is to make sure they're increasing their cash buffers during this period. Just continue with their long term strategy as normal. Make sure they're not holding back on any purchases in in the core investment markets. And if you're a Melbourne and Sydney home buyer, we feel that there's a greater probability of a price rise than a price fall. And that's it. Okay. Um, Philip, just just before
0: I wrap up my, my last question, um, first home buyers, um, this is around first home buyers, where, I mean, I've personally heard um, some comments from people that, you know, oh, I, you just kind of said it then slightly, but while I buy now? You know, there's gonna be better opportunities in the future, but I guess, I guess you've already answered that, that if you're a first home buyer, don't wait. If you're ready to go, don't wait. But would there be any other advice that that you might offer to a first home
2: buyer in the current environment? I think you need to reverse the question on them and say, look, if the, given that I haven't seen affordability indexes this low and pent up demands at the levels that we have, if the markets went on another 10 or 15% run over the next 12 or 24 months, and that gave them the probability of not getting into that market, Um, would they then make the same decision now and wait for 12 months? I think if it agrees with their strategy, I've always been a firm believer if the, if the asset's quality, regardless whether they buy now or 12 or 24 months' time, it's their home. It's a quality asset. And as long as they're buying a really good quality asset, I, my personal advice is that they should be buying now if they've got capacity.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's good advice, Philip. Before we wrap things up, where can people find you and your business?
2: Uh, well, I think first of all, if you can get in contact with uh, with both yourselves. But um, if you look at, uh, I'll send my email through to you, Glenn and, and Nathan. But it's it's www.performanceproperty.com.au. Um, I'll send my details. I've actually got a forty page report on Melbourne, which will give you a a really realistic view. So um glenn nathan if you need access to that research i'm more than happy to send that through to you today
1: yeah and perhaps we, we can share that on our various sort of social media channels. I appreciate yep. that. look on behalf of nathan and i philip thank you very much for joining us today it was very insightful and i'm sure our, our listeners enjoy it so um on that note thanks again to everyone for listening and we look forward to chatting to you all again next week
0: thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the money mentors podcast um, if you enjoy the the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsor's website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.